It's the Saturday Friends Club. Hello, Saturday Friends. How are you doing today? I'm Saturday friendly. Yeah. <laughs> I am so ready to be here. I am you... still so hungover. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Welcome to the Saturday Friends Club, now on Sunday. Yeah. Yay. Sun- Sunday Friends Club. It's a, it's a, a very, very religious... <laughs> Very or very uh, spiritual, very yeah. spiritual experience. For I don't know. Us. I feel like you can't say Sunday like on some kind of radio or without saying it at least three times Go. aggressively. No. Well, Sunday, yeah. Sunday, Sunday. Listen to a bunch of fucking nerds <laughs> talk about <laughs> movies that they watched. Aw, yeah. So yes, welcome to the Saturday Friends Club. We are a group of friends that get together to talk about stuff that we watched from our childhood <laughs> and, and want to press upon other people. I am Josh. Got, I'm Eric. Yeah. I'm here. Hello, Martin. And once again, Kyle. I'm, I'm Eric. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, Eric. I'm Josh. Should we, should we do another round? <laughs> this is the computer. Yeah. We got to keep going until somebody's name changes. It will happen. <laughs> Someone finally dies and like, yeah. straight up skeleton. Uh, yeah, we've got we've got uh, other friends. Eric, uh, the usual, the huge co-host. Martin coming back from like a half year away. I'm, yay! I'm back. I oh, was, and, he, and he came right for the right weekend because I think uh, I'll just. Uh, right at the top this just get ready for like guys this is time to bro down oh yeah no girls allowed this is (laughs) this is like this is hard stuff this is gonna be why why did you say it like that (laughs) (laughs) this is hard stuff (laughs) really lean into the table there is this gonna turn into a as long as the balls don't touch situation (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're spaced around the table so there's a lot of room it's alright Yeah. We've, we've already talked about this in advance. It's gonna be fine. Oh, yeah. but if we're just getting ready for. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I mean, we've got a, a span of three good movies. I think yes. we could say they're not bad. And opposed to last time, we did a whole bunch of guy movies. These are actually good movies. Uh, <laughs> this is quality stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I I did want to say I felt I felt betrayed. I was hurt that uh, that like our 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 like. That you guys brought us the most like ag- aggressively heterosexual movies, but in like the worst way possible. Was this Gra- the last time? Ba- basketball and orgasm. Oh yeah, that was. I awful. felt like I felt like that. Like yeah, this is what you, this is what you like. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad. Fucking I- breeders, this is what you. This is what you like. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't there for that. <laughs> it, it was bad. It wasn't good. No, no it was no, not good. No, no. no. There, I, I love Orgasmo in particular because it is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and the same, actually, like, Basketball is probably now up there now that we've seen every sort of, like, innuendo involving Jenny McCarthy. Yep. <laughs> oh. But anyway. Ah, but yeah, this uh, this episode span we're dealing with Baron Munchausen. Oh, Baron! Uh, we are we are finally. Is this the first Gilliam movie we've done? I believe so. I don't think oh, we've boy. done. Uh, I mean, oh, I I'm trying Gilliam. to remember. No, Wizards was not Gilliam. No, no. This felt like vis- this visually felt like Return to Oz. I mean, it's kind of in that same like oh let's go kooky on these designs boys yeah it's mm-hmm. it was giving me serious like is it is with like a return to oz is like the the not terry gilliam terry gilliam movie <laughs> i think that this was actually like uh uma thurman's first film too was it really I oh i thought she like done stuff earlier i mean earlier than this she was super young yeah i mean oh, i'm i'm not gonna say no to 90s uma thurman 
uh, her presence was was uh, not unwelcome in this movie. Uh, let's see. Going for looking at Uma Thurman yep. first film roles. Go ahead. Uh, pulling up now. Okay. Well, this is great radio. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Uh, well, jokes on us. It's not radio. It's not the first. Oh, no, it's not. Johnny it's B. Like... Good. Johnny B. Good. Johnny Adventures B. of Baron Munchausen and most notably Days, Dangerous Liaison. But all within the same year as well. Uh, her oh. her first film de- de- also, debut uh... teen thriller, Kiss Daddy Goodnight. I don't like the name of that movie. Uh, that's a little. Her uh, first, I guess her first leading. voice acting role, though, was for Nausicaa. Which is one of my favorite movies. Nausicaa's. Oh. Well, oh my god! Have we? Have you guys done Nausicaa yet? We have not. No, not, not on yet. The list. No. I love me a good uh, Studio Ghibli film, and that one was just like way up there on is, that list. Is this before or after Pulp Fiction? Oh, way before. Okay, wow. Oh, yeah. Super okay, before Nausicaa was 1984. No, I, I was thinking is, is Baron Munchausen. Oh, definitely. oh god, yeah. yeah. She's okay. still a, she's still a baby. Uh, yeah. Baron Munchausen was Munchausen. Uh, that's the Hangover talking. <laughs> <laughs> Baron Munchausen was uh, 1988, I believe. Wow. Okay. Oh, damn. All right. All right, so, gents, shall so, we? So yeah. yes, uh, so the uh, the one of us that has elected to do Baron Munchausen uh, is uh, <laughs> is Kyle over there. So Kyle, tell me why Baron Munchausen and why the uh, why what what's your history with it? Okay, so the first time I actually saw this movie, uh, I saw like maybe. Uh, 30 minutes in or so, or not even that far. Like I didn't even catch the beginning. It was, uh, when he was flying across the fucking battlefield on a cannonball and like the grim reaper was like right next to him. (laughs) And that terrified the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, and because of that, I had to watch the whole thing to see if it was just as scary, but it just got progressively weirder and weirder and weirder. And I think that that's kind of what made me fall in love with that movie style. Um, and I think I must've been like, uh, gosh, maybe eight or nine the first time that I actually saw it. And, uh, it was it was just a a good weird movie. I really liked it for probably just that reason. It was just really weird, uh, visually stunning and captivating, very colorful, and uh, the tones of all the colors tell a lot of range of emotion through the movie. And I'm not sure if that's supposed to be reflective of like the little girl and yada yada yada. Basically, I just saw it. I thought it was weird, and I loved it. So <laughs> this is probably weirdly the most kid accessible Gilliam movie. Yeah. Yeah. You don't sit them down to see Brazil too often. Yeah. No. Not even time bandits. Time bandits was even weird. Yeah. I this. tried to watch that and I was like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> just don't touch that. It's you just, pure you, evil. You, you, I would rather show them ice pirates, <clears throat> which is also a good movie in that span of weird 80s movie. Was it really? It does mm-hmm. have space herpes. <gasps> oh yeah. All right. Well, all, Mark's a great movie. Yes, uh, yes, obviously. Um, the so who else? Who else had seen Baron Munchausen before today? I have never. seen Yes, it. we have the Virgin. <laughs> I, I had not always good. I had not seen it, but it is. It has been sitting on my computer, ready to watch for like ten years. Wow. Well, I'm there we glad go. we could finally drag it out of you. <laughs> it was. It was like, oh right, I've got that movie right here, and I watched it. <laughs> 
you know, legally on your computer. Of course. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah just, it just happened to be on a, on a like a on an AVI. Like, it's just, just a low real AVI media file. file. I don't know what how it happened. <laughs> just so that is clear, the Satellite Actually, Friends Club does not endorse any kind of illicit parody. procurement of media. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we don't know where those, uh, Alleg- you know, my yeah. alleged copy of Vern Munchausen. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> That's been sitting on your computer for ten years. Yeah, you yeah. know, LimeWire. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I also was like, I wanted to bring this movie up in particular because I'd actually gotten to watch it with my nephew-in-law for the first, for his first time seeing it. Because uh, he was right about the same age I was when I got to see the full length of the movie instead of just like from part of the beginning forward. And uh, he really liked it. So oh. I was just like, oh. man... We should totally do that for this thing, because yeah, it's a it's a great movie to expose people to. <laughs> How old is your nephew? Uh, he just turned fourteen. Oh, okay, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. good age. And uh, I have seen it before, so oh. I will be. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm within the same line as you, though. I only saw it. I feel like a few years ago, so it was something where it's just like. This looks like a weird movie. Let's watch it. And we're just like, oh, it's a weird-ass Terry Gilliam movie. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> we're in for a ride. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was a good watch. Um, okay. Well, before we actually get down to talking about the movie proper and hitting the music score and all that, shall we tell you that Baron Munchausen was an actual person? <gasps> <gasps> Baron Munchausen is a fictional German nobleman created by German writer Rudolf Ehrlich Rasp in his 1785 book Baron Munchausen's narrative on his marvelous travels and campaigns in Russia. The character is loosely based on a real baron, Hernomerius Karl Frederick Fairhair von Munchausen. I probably butchered that. Uh, that particular person... The reason that these books came to exist was because this man told a lot of tall tales about his time in Russia, to which in the uh, the royal courts of um, of Ger- of early Germany, Prussia, I believe it was at the time, mm-hmm. um, they, he essentially everybody's just started saying all these stories of just like, oh yeah, I've, I've ridden on the back of this, oh yeah, I did this, I took this, and they were just going like, oh yeah, I bet he's like. I bet he's taking a balloon over a battlefield. I bet he has friends that could shoot <laughs> guns that go across the world and a man that runs super fast. So just kind of building upon it. He wasn't too happy about the fact that his uh, his stories were made fun of. Not taken seriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, so tell you what. How about let's get down to it. Let's talk about a uh, Terry Gilliam movie. Oh, this is one. a movie. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about... A man of valor. Let's talk about his his companions. Let's talk about going to the moon. Let's talk about a whale. Let's talk about trying to beat back the Sultan's army. How about we talk just a little bit about the adventures of Baron Munchausen?
The Adventures of Baron Munchausen is a 1998 adventure fantasy film co-written and directed by Terry Gilliam, starring John Neville, Sarah Poli, Eric Idle, Jonathan Pierce, Oliver Reed, and Uma Thurman. Uh, the film is based on the tall tales of, of the 18th century German nobleman Baron Munchausen and his wartime exploits against the Ottoman Empire. Uh, the film also is a complete and total box office bomb. Uh, yeah, this this movie is this this is like the cla- the archetypal Gilliam story right here. Yeah, grossing a total of eight million dollars against the forty six million dollars, and therefore doing some math, losing the studio. Thirty-eight million dollars. Mm. Not to mention, Oof. it was also over budget, wasn't it? Oh yes, yeah. initial yeah. budget was like twenty-three point five million, and they kind of blew that through within like a few weeks. How do you spend that much money so quickly? <laughs> I I uh. I I kind of known that going into this movie, and I remember just watching it and like, oh my god, I can't. I, I can imagine actually just the, the sets and the everything going on. This how much like is going on in this movie like i'm sure every every like every set everything cost a fortune yeah i mean Mm. think about the theater set that they eventually exploded oh that's true you know think about the fact that they more or less sort of built like a full courtyard city jeez wow yeah the uh the the dedication to making these visuals though was very terry gilliam though which is why i think that that's probably why it didn't do so well financially. I mean, them blowing through all of that just because, like, this is a man who used to make very uh, elaborate cartoons for Monty Python. So, yeah. of course, you take somebody with that kind of an imagination and you give him a platform to make these things, like, come to life. Yeah, you're going to go through a pretty fat sack of cash <laughs> <laughs> but granted it's a delicious fat sack it is yeah, it is, oh. it is. There's no tasty fat that. sacks yes. that's what we're all about <laughs> here on this podcast <laughs> you guys took that a different direction than I wanted it to uh-huh. uh, oh, boy. by the way it did receive positive reviews from critics and was nominated for four academy awards for best art direction, best costume design best visual effects and best makeup yeah, that's mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, despite being a box office failure, this is a, this is a very cr- like highly critically regarded movie, and I've seen this as like, oh, this this is one of those movies that like you should definitely watch and is good, and it's like, but it's like at the time, I think the people only really pissed off for the studio heads because it was not a money maker. Yeah. Well, it was a money maker because of the studio heads, but yeah. granted, also it was a Terry Gilliam movie that was over budget, so you could say maybe they were cutting their losses. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. The story goes in an unnamed war-torn European city in the age of reason amid explosions and gunfire from a large Ottoman army outside the city gates. A fanciful touring stage production of Baron Munchausen's life and adventures is taking place in a theater box. The mayor, the right ordinary Horatio Jackson, reinforces the city's commitment to reason by ordering the execution of a soldier who had just accomplished a near superhuman feat of bravery claiming that his bravery is demoralizing the other soldiers and citizens. And that soldier was Sting. (laughs) (laughs) No joke, that was Sting. (laughs) Now that you say it, I totally noticed that. 
Wow. Not far into the play, an elderly man claiming to be the real Baron interrupts the show, protesting in a mere in the many it's inaccuracies. Hmm? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, over the complaints of the audience, the theater company in Jackson, the real Baron, gains the house's attention and narrates through flashback an account of his adventures of a life and death wager with the Grand Turk, where the younger Baron's life is saved only by his amazing luck plus the assistance of his remarkable associates. Berthold, the world's fastest runner. Up, uh, Alphosus, Ad- Adolphus. Adolphus, I can't talk. <laughs> Adolphus, a rifleman with Adolphin. superior eyesight. <laughs> yes, is a dolphin. Uh, Gustavus, who pre- possesses extraordinary hearing and sufficient lung power to knock down an army by exhaling, and the fantastically strong Albrecht. See, I don't, I, this is a small one. I didn't know if there was any insight in this one, but like, they used like Gustavus and Adolphus were kind of a pair, and Gustavus Adolphus is a famous like Swedish king. I don't know, uh, like kind of contemporary to the period, like mm. somewhat. So I don't know what that was a, a joke about. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, uh, when just, just been updating what's going on in Sweden. Yes, <laughs> just keeping <laughs> us abreast. <laughs> How Sweden? Sweden okay? <laughs> All oh, right, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know we're investing in humane prisons? <laughs> I saw that. That was a good Vox article. Uh, so uh, good. Uh, pick, pickled herring. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. When gunfire disrupts the elderly Baron's story, Jackson cancels the acting troop contact, contract because of the Baron. The Baron wanders backstage where the angel of death t- tries to take his life, but Sally Salt, the young daughter of the theater company's leader, saves him and persuades him to remain remain leave living that was a freaky scene like the angel of death was trying to steal his soul it, not mm. only that but like i guess that they couldn't get a dog to actually snarl so they built a puppet of yeah one the, the puppet do dog was really funny it, it was funny but it was also freaky as fuck to look yeah at. it was yeah. like really you couldn't get a dog like they, why, they have trained dogs yeah <laughs> yes but this one costs a thousand dollars they couldn't afford it at that point <laughs> <laughs> they were already over budget with I mean, actually, there's somebody coming up soon that was part of their cost-saving reasons. Oh, boy. Uh, Oh, jeez. Yeah, uh, so let's see. Sally races to the wall, yelling for the Turk's army to go away, (laughs) but the Baron accidentally fires himself through the sky using a mortar and returns using a cannonball, narrowly escaping the Angel of Death once again. Insisting that he alone can save the city, the Baron escapes over the city's walls in a hot air balloon constructed of women's underwear. Accompanied by Sally as a stowaway. That was a weird scene. We should we, we should say this is the this is the point in the movie when it becomes like magical reality. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, it's just been kind of like funny. It's like funny reality, like a weird war torn area. Well, it's like a city under. It's a city in like clearly like the early 1700s, like under siege. By the Turks, and you get a little bit. You get a little bit of that for a while when he does the first explanation of the story of like, oh, you know, I was here with the Sultan, and we made a wager, and you know, I told him that I had this drink that was fucking dope, but he was like, nah, dog, and we made a bet on my life, and a whole bunch of really crazy stuff. Yeah, but this is good. There, there. I, I, this sets up the initial. I, I would say the. Supposed to be the contrast between like the fant- the fantasy of the Baron's like purported stories and the reality of what's going on. Yeah, this yeah. this is why we're at war. But no, this is not why we're at war. 
For some no reason, one can though, remember. For some reason, though, for that first part, I was thinking of like the Ottoman siege of Vienna back in like the. Uh, I mean, this is like the the Turks are still they're still kicking it. Yeah, back, the, back yeah. The point. Ottoman Empire was still pretty, pretty uh, powerful. Yeah, so they're they're like I, I, any movie, any movie we get to fight the Turks, I'm all for. It, it all just depends if it's Istanbul or Constantinople to yeah. me. Mm, yeah. No one knows. Anyway, <laughs> God. <laughs> the balloon expedition proceeds to the moon, where the Baron, uh, oh, Jesus, where uh. the Baron, who has grown younger, finds his old associate Bethold. Uh, but angers the king of the moon, a giant with separate minds, uh, well, separate minds in his head and his body. What year is this again? Uh, 80, 80, <laughs> okay, so Robin Williams is just prepping for Aladdin at this point. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I guess. He's like a pervier version of the genie in this. Well, yeah, he was also still, I think, doing coke at this point, so. <laughs> was, like, yeah. did he ever stop? I, you know, if... Yes, uh, thank you, yes. I, the answer, the answer is maybe, yes. I think uh, he stopped yes. when he died. This, is like, this was like his audition tape, because I feel, I feel like he just really wanted to do Zardoz. Like, okay, if I can't do a flying head in that movie, I'll be a flying head in this movie. I will be a flying head, damn it. Well, and he also played this movie, he did the role for free, because, as said, they were out of money, and uh -huh. they couldn't get... Uh, they couldn't get uh who was he he was uh, not george clooney stop that uh, uh sean connery oh oh my god speaking of they were wait, gonna have sean of, connery be the king yeah of the wait, speaking of zardoz something. holy shit <laughs> what in the actual i did not know that about yeah, this movie. They, they yeah. imagine this movie with like sean connery's just floating head just like one eye always sort of partially closed and Brow constantly raised. I forgot to go fuck my wife. I forgot. <laughs> uh, screw, screw me into my body so I can screw into hers. <laughs> I am so enlightened as a floating head. I do yes. not wish to get back in my body. I, oh, I'm so randy right now. Never mind. John Borman wouldn't let me be a flying head in, in Zardar, so I decided to be a flying head in this movie. <laughs> Yes, but unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> we will, that, that reality will never come yes, to pass. Yes, uh, unfortunately, we do not get that. Instead, we get Robin Williams doing a great job again. But, again, it's just this is pre-Aladdin, but him, it's just he's riffing. Yeah. But he's kind of a little more like Randy than usual. Uh, let's see. So, do, 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 uh, represents the Baron. Okay, so with separate minds and head of the body, who resents the Baron for his romantic past with the Queen of the Moon, who is like fifteen stories tall. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder. It just, I mean, so, I mean, it's someone's girl. kink. You know that. You know, so, you, I know. Oh, that, that's like a basic level. <laughs> like, that's basic. Giant kink. moon goddess. Come on. Uh, I mean, when they say get in there, like, did he really just get in there? Was it just like going for a stroll or what? I, no, I've been. I've been keeping. I've, I've been loosely. I've been loosely keeping up with Steven Universe, and the number of like giant like characters to small characters has changed dramatically. So what you're saying is that if Steven wanted to see a giant woman, he should have just. <laughs> 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 the Queen of the Moon, apparently. Think, yeah. 
the death of the king's body and a bungled escape from the moon brings the trio back to Earth and into the volcano of the Roman god Vulcan. And into the realm Vulcan. of Oliver Reed. <laughs> <laughs> he hosts the group as his guests and reveals Albrecht is working as his servant. Uh, Baron and the Baron and Vulcan's wife, the goddess of Venus, attempt a romantic interlude by waltzing in the air. By with, becoming be becoming G.I. Joe's and spinning around in the air. Basically. <laughs> yep. The goddess uh, of Uma Thurman. <laughs> uh, but this cuts short the hospitality, and Vulcan expels the foursome from his kingdom into the South Seas. And then has a really weird makeout with Uma Thurman. Uh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, then swallowed by an enormous sea creature, the travelers locate Gustavus, Aldolfus, and the Baron's trusty horse... Bucephalus. Thank you! I saw uh, that one coming, I'm like, I better, <laughs> I better step in. <laughs> pinch hit! Pinch hit! <laughs> uh, the Baron, who again appears elderly after being expelled from a state of bliss, encounters the Angel of Death for the fourth time. Finally, the escape by blowing a modicum of snuff out of the sea creature's cavernous interior, causing it to sneeze the heroes out through its whale-like blowhole. The Baron, young once again, sails to where the Turkish army is located if the Baron's associates are too elderly and tired to fight. The Baron lectures them firmly, but to no avail. He storms off, intending to surrender to the Grand Turk. His companions rally to save the Baron, and though a series of fan and through a series of fantastic acts, they rout the Turkish army away and liberate the city. During the city's celebratory parade, the Baron is shot dead by Jackson, and the Angel of Death appears a final time to take the Baron's life. An emotional public funeral takes place. But the denouncement reveals that this is merely the final scene of a yet another story of the Baron is telling to the same theater goers in the city. <laughs> the Baron calls the foregoing only one of the many occasions in which I met my death. And closes his tale by saying everyone who has had a talent for it lived happily ever after. <laughs> the Baron then leads the citizens of the uh, citizens to the city gates to reveal the city has indeed been saved, though it is unclear if the events of the battle occurred in the story or in reality. Sally asks, it wasn't just a story, was it? The Baron grins, rides off on that horse that was stated, Bucephalus. And, and disappears. <laughs> That's Baron Munchausen. Man. What a film. This was a movie. This movie was 80s as shit. It was, but it's so good. Yeah, this yeah. this this took me back a bit because we've done a bunch of these 80s like the like ultra practical fantasy movies and like this one kind of does it the best. Mhm. Mm mhm. That's I mean that's that's one of the things that I really liked about like Terry Gilliam's production quality in general. It's just he didn't I mean okay, yeah, he went over budget, but like you didn't have to rely on too many super special effects to make any of this movie great. Yeah, this is the era where just like I guess this is just like well, this movie just had the benefit of just being so suffused with cash that they could actually pull it off. Oh right. yeah. I don't know. I still like Kroll. Mm. <laughs> 
Wait, did y'all do crawl without me? We oh, did we crawl. Did, we, we did, did crawl. Oh, we uh, did crawl. Crawl was an experience. That was, I that love was, crawl. <laughs> crawl <laughs> was something yeah. else. Yeah, crawl was. We got crawled. Definitely. There, there was, we got hella so crawled. There yeah. was a time frame in my life where I felt like crawl, Conan, and uh, what is it, Willow. We're all like in the same universe somehow. Oh, they are. They, no, yeah. they are. They're yeah. it and the never ending story. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah, yeah Dark yeah, Crystal. Yeah, yeah. They're all David Bowie's Legend. In yeah. yeah. Those are all in the same universe. Yep. <laughs> David Bowie's junk. Is that what you <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's David pre- Bowie's package was the 80s, ladies and gentlemen. It's a present. It's a present. I really do wish. Rap just for you. Yeah. I really do wish somebody would actually take all of those 80s, like, fantasy movies and package them together in one cinematic universe. And, like, yeah, I like would the, run I would run a tabletop campaign of well, that. I would like be the, down. It's like, yeah, in the, in the era of, like, of crappy cinematic universes, give us, the, give us, like, the 80s one. Yeah. The 80s fantasy cinematic universe. But, yeah, this movie was, yeah, it's like that, but, like, with the Gilliam knob, like, cranked up. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, to how about a little bit of trivia here? This forms an informal trilogy with yes. director Ter- Terry Gilliam's previ- previous film, Time Bandits and Brazil. The three movies represent the three stages of man, youth, middle age, and the elderly, and the impact of imagination on each. Yeah, I think like, I, wanted, I, I wanted to really top that off by talking about Brazil in relation to this movie. Because there are many similarities, and it's interesting that he had kind of like a, a running theme between them. Uh, this is the much, much less grim version of Brazil. <laughs> uh, John Neville was unable to eat or read properly because of his nose. Uh, this was unable to read properly. No, it couldn't. Well, I mean, basically, you you are like single eyed, like because of just this huge honker that you have. Wait, was his nose a prosthetic in this, or was that actually his, like... We'll like, leave you to get to figure that out on your own. I mean, I'm, but I'm asking you here. But it's... <laughs> it's, it's a pro, I'm pretty sure it's a prosthetic. Okay, because, yeah. like... Yeah, you, your your brain automatically ignores your nose in general, so that had to be the case. I'm sorry. Uh, so, you mentioned Sting. Uh, Sting's cameo came about because he happened to be Terry Gilliam's neighbor at the time. <laughs> Hey, hey, bro! You want to do this scene in a movie? Hey, hey, Sting! You want to be in a movie? And then he's like, "I will kill him." <laughs> oh, wrong movie. I'll just go back to having tantric sex with my wife. There you go. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so we should probably talk about the uh, the reason why this movie particularly failed, uh, which is a very weird part. So the um, original. Uh, let's see. Who was the production what company? What was the term that that, that I, I coined uh, on Mags's prompting was a high concept hot mess. It's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> That's a good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so basically, uh, this was produced by Columbia Pictures, and during the time of Columbia Pictures, they had essentially a takeover of the management. So there was the one management that said, like, yeah, go ahead, Terry. Go ahead and make your movie. Sounds good. We'll give you some money. Terry Gilliam ended up blowing through more of that money and partial way going into the movie. Uh, basically, the upper management all changed. And as the movie was in production, 
and a movie changes, they look at it and say, oh, this is this other guy's shit. We don't want that. Yeah, they're not like in on the, they're not affected with the Terry Gilliam magic and all they see is just a giant money sink. Yeah, so (laughs) basically they went, oh yeah, you're not getting any more money for this. And also, uh, we don't think this is going to make us any money, so we're not going to publicize it at all or put it in any theaters. So this has happened to like every one of his movies. Brazil was the exact same thing, was like, they thought this movie is too dark and weird that no one's going to watch it, so they just tried to quash it. So, he's, he's like, he, he this is a reoccurring thing with him. But, I mean, how long was he making movies for? Long time. I mean, he was making them since the 70s with the Pythons movies. Yeah. Like 60s, 70s. I, yeah. I don't know how much he was involved at the production of those. I think when he went off on his own. But I'd say a good 20 years. Oh, yeah. Yes. Hmm. So yeah, uh, to go, the film was over budget. It was originally supposed to be $23 million. Grew to $46 million. Right. Yeah, Okay, so just a mere twice the budget. Yeah, yeah double the budget. Totally reasonable. Uh, and, and there is a The Madness and Misadventures of Munchausen, which is included in the bonus DVD of the 20th anniversary edition of Munchausen. I per- have that. Nice. Uh, producer Thomas Scrolfly? Uh, yeah, Thomas says. Tom. Tom hey, Tom. Tom. Hey, Tom boy. <laughs> uh, said that as part Timmy of the Toms. deal with 20th Century Fox before it ended up with Columbia, a budget plan had been set up for $35 million. And it's strange. The film's initial cost was $35 million. We always had a budget of 34 million or $35 million. The problem that was when I started to discuss it with Columbia... Columbia would not go beyond 25. Everyone knew from the very beginning that this was cutting it out just to be fake. The problem was that David Putman got fired and all those deals were oral deals. Columbia's new CEO, Don Steele, said... <laughs> fake, fake name. <laughs> Calling it right now. Yep. Not his like real a, name. This sounds like a freaking Marvel villain. <laughs> said yeah, Iron Man definitely fought that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Said, whatever David Putman has said before doesn't interest me. Regarding the new... Is he a villain in another movie? (laughs) You know, I I have a feeling that this is why... Okay, folks, this is why you always get everything in writing. Yeah. Because oral contracts can be changed. Don Steele. Ooh, he's the bad guy. <laughs> uh, regarding the new regime's apparent animosity towards all of Putnam's projects and Munkhausen, Gilliam added in the same documentary, I was trying very hard to convince Don Steele that it was not a David Putnam movie, it was a Terry Gilliam movie. Similarly, Kent Hudson, head of Peerless Camera, doing the film's special effects, said in Madness and Misadventures that they were promised a bonus if they would finish the effects on time. But when they approached the person again when they were done, he was met with the reply, I'm not going to pay you because I don't want to seem to be doing anything that would benefit Terry Gilliam. So, wow, what a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so this uh, so I mean, this is this sounds par for the course for a Gilliam movie, and you hate to see it. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, but there is a comic book adaptation from 1989. Yeah, from now comics. So I think like, yeah, I mean, Kyle, I mean, you, we mentioned we brought it up earlier, but just like the idea of this movie is like the trilogy of man's progression through life and yeah it it seems to be the the, and then the central one is just the idea of the world is is cruel and absurd and that we we escape from it 
via via fantasy. Yeah, um, I have mm-hmm. not seen Time Bandits. Is the thing. Oh, Time Bandits is a weird one. Yeah, it well, I've, like yeah. I've I've seen Brazil probably like a half dozen times. Yeah, I, and yeah. it's it's interesting the way these two movies handle that. I feel like Munchausen almost feels like a weird like it's like let me let me go back to this theme, but I'm gonna give it kind of a happy ending. I would also say that, like, there's a level of sense to each of these movies in which one makes a lot of and which one doesn't make any. Right. And and Baron Munchausen is probably top of the, the line of his movies so far that actually makes sense from start to finish. You follow it, you get to the end, you realize it's this guy who's just been telling this story this whole time, but it still makes sense. Brazil, I mean... There's some sense there. I got I got lost like a dozen times yeah, watching it, so, but I still like it. But Time Bandits, man, it just seems like shit happens for absolutely no reason, and there's no connecting the dots. Brazil is, I mean, parts of Brazil are purposely very surreal, and I think that it's a counterpoint to Baron Munchausen, where Baron Munchausen is about a, a, a character who's, like, he's lost his way, and his friends have lost their way, and they, like... The fantasy is what brings them back to like reality and yeah. makes them youthful again. And it's the opposite in Brazil, where it's a man in a shit situation, and he tries to use the fantasy to escape from it, but it <laughs> catches up with him. Depending on what version you've seen, right? <laughs> so it's interesting, like the, the that point. So I think it's, it's interesting, like Brazil being the middle movie and the one about like middle age, and that's the one with the the most like pummelingly grim ending. Yeah. Whereas this one is like starts off grim, but it's like it you, it works its way into like there's not I wouldn't say like a happy ending, but like the end of it is finally like reality has become fantasy for the better. Yeah. Yeah. He went senile, you knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he rode off on that horse into the sunset. Yep. Just, just like you do. He just kind of like went like. Bloop. And like blinked out of existence. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was that was interesting to see. Uh, having seen, uh, and I saw, I watched Brazil in a class. So that was like I, I did like a fairly <laughs> thorough study of it, and uh, it was fun to see this as uh, as a kind of counterpoint to it. Well, now I've got to go see Brazil in order to have the counterpoint Ooh. to bear. <laughs> I'll I, I'll hook you up. I've got the I've got like the Criterion Collection DVD set. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I actually, I also I and Sabrina have not seen Brazil as well. Ooh. So that's probably we're, we're good, doing it. Yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna that, have to do it. That's yeah. definitely a candidate for the show. Should, yeah. should we do like a a uh, Terry Gilliam triple header then? Because like if we're gonna do we've done Brazil, it then. and we're it, we should definitely do time bandits. time bandits. Time bandits. Yeah. I think that the next best one would at this point be probably the Imaginarium. Of Doctor Parnassus, if you guys haven't seen that one, yet. I've seen that. I it is not. like I am fo- <laughs> just a series of noises. I point something out. They they did something with that movie because I believe Heath Ledger was doing that movie and um, The Dark Knight at the same time. Really? Oh, oh is that he, recent? Wow. Yeah, yeah, but he died. During the production of the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, not huh. not during the Batman one, oh. right? So they they actually found a way to work with that with Terry Gilliam's imagination and how to change a character. So there are a lot of I don't want to spoil hmm. it. I just want to say it's like they found a way to finish a movie without having to reshoot all of his parts. 
Interesting. Wow. So yeah, uh, it's a very weird and like, uh, well, I guess yeah, I guess okay. That yeah. does make that does make some level of sense. <laughs> it's just bizarre, but it is a bizarre movie. Yeah, this, yeah. This uh, this is a movie like we were saying is suffused with eighties practical fantasy effects. Oh shit! Mm-hmm. What's his name? I think Tom Petty's in it as well. Oh, last dance for Mary Jane. Uh, man. But like, it, it's just, it was. I, I was into. I felt like it, it worked in this movie. That this movie had all the hallmarks of like one of those like visually busy '80s fantasy movies. But I thought it pulled it off fairly well. Well, if you want to go through the the love of Terry, and we can obviously talk about this afterwards. The passion of the Terry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> not wrong, Tom. It's Tom Waits. Tom oh, Waits. Oh, oh, okay. So Tom, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are in this movie. Oh, yeah. if we're gonna do Tom Waits, we might as well do uh, Mystery Men because he's also in that. And you that keep, you've kept teasing that mm, one. Mystery Men. Mm, mm, mystery how men. delicious! Oh, jeez, oh. that one's got Pee Wee Herman in it, doesn't mm, it? Yes, it does. Wow, ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nope. To uh, to also look through some of the Gilliam, uh, he actually did write uh, Holy Grail. Uh, okay. Oh. Also wrote Life of Brian. I love Life of Brian. Uh, let's see. Those movies have like Terry Gilliam esque like elements to them, mm-hmm. but they're not full on Gilliam. And then the late Meaning of Life. Uh, mm. Mm. Uh, Bear Munchausen, as said, uh, more Monty Python stuff, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, how was he involved in that? Screenplay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Let's see. The Imaginarium, as we said, The Whole Family, Zero Theorem, more Monty Python, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which just got released. Which we should should definitely go watch that and and report back. And a TV series of Time Bandits. What? What? Yeah. Uh, That's listed here on IMDb. Just saying. Wow. Don't know if I want. So, um, there you go. And that's, uh, that's closing, the, closing thoughts for, uh, Baron Munchausen. You should watch this. Yes. Yeah. Definitely watch Yes. It. This yeah. is what, this is definitely like, if, uh, maybe if you're a, you're not, if, if you've seen other Terry Gillen movies and like, I hate them. Maybe skip it, but I'd say this is this is well worth watching. I, I would almost feel like if you hated Terry Gilliam films, you should watch this one to change your mind. Maybe this is the one. This yeah. is the one this, that gets people. I yeah. also think it's uh, even though there definitely were the scenes that you stated where like, oh, this spooked me as a kid. Like, yeah. I do think it is probably one of the more kid approachable movies. Maybe, maybe Holy Grail being just a little bit more approachable, just because it's so silly. It's, oh, yeah. yeah, but. You know, it's still like a man on an adventure with a young girl and just going through and doing all these fan- like, it's like fantasy set pieces. pieces. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it, it is very slapsticky and silly, and there's parts of it like, it, like, it, like there's a there are men in this who are who are like literal cartoons. <laughs> but in, like, it's, but very it's magical. Er, it's very I still like sense. that moment of like, it's like, where did you get more rope? I cut it from the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's just like, oh, wait, is this going to, how's that going to work out? And it's like, oh, exactly how it's supposed to. <laughs> right. We're just going to uh, fall through this animated orb. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah, uh, that was, that was, it, it was interesting. And yeah, I would agree that it's a, this is a, maybe the more approachable Gilliam movie. Brazil is definitely the most oppressive. Weird. Well, it's, mm. it's weird. And there's, especially the last like quarter of the movie is highly surrealist. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it stops making linear sense. 
<laughs> the, and so, there's a good. I would say the first half of the movie is like that. The the third quarter is so like, is this really going on? And then the last quarter is like, okay, now what is uh, what is real? What is not? And until you get to the very end, which I won't spoil, because that man, that the ending to Brazil is the like. That's like one of my favorite emotional gut punch like movie endings. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's. It, it'll take you there. <laughs> this movie ends on a good note, so yes. that's a, that, that has, at least has that going for it. True. Yep. All right. Well, uh, uh, we're going to hit up our next episode next week, uh, to which I will say, Martin, are you entertained? I am entertained. <laughs> uh, we're doing Gladiator. Yes, we're doing the shit. We're glad we're doing Gladiator. We're gonna we're gonna eat some crow. We're going. I'm, I'm we're down. going in linear crow order. We're taking yourself to the year of our Lord two thousand uh, for this movie. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be uh, finding ourselves in ancient Rome. Uh, we are going to be battling evil Caesars. And like and Emperor Wormy Guy, <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, Emperor, Emperor Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, who has Cause... aged gracefully Joe versus Queen. Russell Crowe, yep. who has not. No, <laughs> nope. Yep. All right. Uh, well, first off, let me go ahead and thank all you wonderful people here for joining me over here yeah. for the show. I mean, yeah, hands, yes. hats off to us guys. Yeah, yeah good job. Yeah, yeah. pat yourselves you on d- the back. You know, I just want to celebrate all you guys for coming in here on your Sunday yeah. to do the show. Uh, then I want to go ahead and thank all of you out there who are listening that have downloaded this podcast. Thank you so very much. Uh, if you feel like being a super extra friend star of us, you can go over to whatever application you downloaded this and give us a star. Give us a happy smiley face. I don't know. Shoot some emojis my way. Uh, definitely it, send send Josh the eggplant emoji followed by yeah. the like water <laughs> rain. The water, there you go. <laughs> Strid, yeah, then some fire. I don't know go why. Don't, don't forget some thumbs. Yeah. Thumbs. All thumbs. Um, and then uh, you can, if you really like the show and you want to help us out, you can go over to patreon.com. Uh, go ahead and sub, uh, put yourself over there. Give us a little bit of help to create the show. Uh, we do release the episodes early on Patreon. We do have a Discord room so you can chat with us. Yes. And uh, we do some extra fun stuff like uh, f- like friend of the show episodes and things like that yes. that you can take part of. You can yeah. submit your movies for us to mock. Yes, uh, somebody has already submitted one in the room, and I'm like, oh boy, oh Uh-oh. boy, yeah. So uh, we may end up doing another friend show sooner than later. Uh, all right, so uh, let's go ahead and do this. You can find us at Sat Friends Club on Twitter, at satfriendsclub.com on the dot coms, and as said, you can go patreon.com/slash satfriendsclub to find us there. Next week, have I not been merciful? We're going to do Gladiator. (laughs) That's exactly what we're going to do. But till then, you're going to have to go to sleep. So, uh, you know, sleep well, everyone. Good night.